Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hello and welcome to Islanders Anxiety from the Lighthouse Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Dan Saracini. Joining me on this evening via Zencaster is my friend Michael Leboff. And Mike, uh, we have three games to talk about, uh, two more losses and a win. And uh, those might be the only Islanders games for a little while. They and the rest of the league, for the most part, have been shut down. And uh, their next game is next Monday. But uh, the way this season is going, that will also feel like it's 10 years away. And then once it's played, it'll feel like it happened 10 years ago, even though it'll be the next day. Because that's just the way this season has been. It's just been one series of start and stop games that just sort of like appear out of nowhere and then are completely forgotten about. Funny how predictable this whole thing was too, with the, mm. um, like, I'm not saying one way or the other, if it was a right decision or a wrong decision, it was just very obvious that when the Islanders went through what they went through, um, they were going to end up getting the short end of the stick of <laughs> this whole thing. And yeah, there are other teams too that, that can definitely make that gripe, uh, Ottawa, Pittsburgh and San Jose. Um, and uh, it's like spilled milk, I guess at this point, but it's just, it's worth pointing out that when Matt Barzell tested positive for that, before that Detroit game, it was almost like just glossed over um, that the Islanders were then going through their, their second uh covid issue um of the season and nobody no, in this whole mess the fact that the islanders played four games with nine ahl players doesn't really make the appearance uh, or get get talked about uh, at all by anybody except barry trotz who i was <laughs> actually really appreciative um 
for what he said. I guess it was after was it after the Vegas game or the Detroit yeah. game, whatever it was, um, or before one of those games where he said that you know that Ottawa, them and Ottawa and were were kind of the guinea pigs of this whole thing. Because uh, it, it's a, it, it's a shitty feeling. Like it does. It is shitty that knowing that uh, as soon as uh, things start to go south for other teams, the NHL is a little bit quicker uh, to react. And I get that. Well, it's obviously a much bigger problem league wide right now than it was for the Islanders. But that doesn't really change the fact that um, you know if you look at each, if they are quote unquote looking at each team on an individual basis. Uh, now that we've seen how they've reacted to the other teams, you kind of look back and like, yeah, uh, <laughs> it almost feels like, um, you know how the Sabres had that goal called the way called back, uh, wrongly against the Rangers that would have tied the game uh, a couple <laughs> weeks ago. It's almost like right. the NHL uh, is the, ver- the Islanders should get some version of that. Like, yeah, we kind of screwed up, um, <laughs> and we're sorry, but that wouldn't come, but hmm. yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that was, that's my first, that's, that's. I'm a cynic and that's how I'm feeling. Well, these other teams are all getting shut down. <laughs> yeah. No, no. And I mean, I think, I think we're all feel fair to, it's fair for us all to feel that way um, because it does seem very odd. And I know this is very petty, but like every time I read an article about, you know, the league shutdown and stuff, I'm always looking to see if the Islanders are mentioned and they are almost uniformly never mentioned. In fact, in those articles, if people talk about Ottawa, that's always the first one. And then, Maybe sometimes you get a San Jose reference. Pittsburgh is almost never mentioned because nothing phases the Penguins. All they do is win, win, win. And they just end up, they're almost in first place again now because the world sucks. And this is how it works. And Peng- Penguins will always win. No matter <laughs> what. But uh, but the Islanders are almost never mentioned. And the fact that, yeah, they're going through essentially a second or went through a second bout of this uh, before you know the league decided, okay, well, let's take a pause. Uh, really, really shows stuff. And, and nobody seems to really... Nobody seems to mind that they, you know, again, played those big, important games with, again, like you said, a lineup half full of AHLers. And, you know, again, Barry Trotz has said, like, that's just kind of how it's been. And, you know, everybody's kind of gone through it and nobody felt bad for us. And we're not going to feel bad for anybody else because they ended up using that to their advantage against the Bruins in a game we'll talk about uh, in a second. So, yeah, it's... um. It, it is kind of a shitty feeling, yeah. you know. But well, it, it's, he's right. Like when, during that whole stretch, he kept saying, "Like, look, we just got to find a way through this. No one's going to feel sorry for us." Because the assumption then was, "Oh, well, this is how they're just going to handle everybody," right. you know. Like, so when it comes our turn to play a team that's depleted, like they did play against the Bruins, um, the Islanders would be on the you know the shoe would be on the other foot, and it was. Um, and then after that game, I, if coincidentally or not, the Bruins were shut down like. 12 hours later. Um, <laughs> so were they fed to the Islanders? We just to, you know, appease Barry and Lou maybe, but um, yeah, it's just, that's, it is a little frustrating because it's like, it's just, a, it's, that's a big part of uh, that, that whole outbreak and the timing of it was such a huge part of what's gone wrong with the team mm. in terms of the stuff that's out of their control. Um and, uh, you know, that's it's there's like a laundry list of issues. If, you know, would, would we be moaning about this if the Islanders had a better record or sitting like where the Hurricanes are? Probably not, you know, <laughs> but but they're not. And, and you know, when your team's not good, that's what you do. You complain about uh, your team not being good and and try to look around the uh, the hockey sphere to find out and places to, to blame. And so you can feel sorry for yourself and. You know, that's what we're doing. Um, <laughs> because look, the Islanders do have plenty of excuses to feel sorry about 
themselves yeah. for. And um, but uh, yes, we'll talk about these these games that we since we've last talked were uh, kind of a good you know micro. It seems that this happens a lot, but they were a good microcosm of 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 the season at large. Oh yeah, no, definitely, I, I do agree with that. Well, like all the uh, way down to the COVID, <laughs> all the way down to Barzell. Yeah, no, it was crazy. Absolutely, for all all of these little details, and and we talked before we came on about this Red Wings game that we both kind of forgot actually happened. I feel like it happened two weeks ago. Nope, it was just a week ago, and the Islanders lost two one. Um, that was the the game where Matt Barzell uh, was taken off. Uh, you know, he wasn't in warm ups, and Andrew Gross had a very weird tweet saying, you know, I he would be very surprised if Matt Barzell was a healthy scratch because he had a six game point streak going. And it was like, I don't think he's not out there because he's a healthy scratch, dude. I think it's probably something COVID related. And sure enough, I guess he tested positive and he was stuck there. He may still very well be stuck there. And if Matt, if you're listening to us in Detroit, um, good luck. Hopefully you're on your way home for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, they don't know, I can't imagine the, the Barry Trotz quote for him was, yeah, I don't, someone asked, I guess gross was like, any update on that? He goes, yeah. No, because I don't know where he is. I don't know where he is. That's not his <laughs> home his alone conce- five. He's worried about the guys who are here now playing. And uh and you know, Barzell not playing obviously stinks. Um, but the Islanders stunk in that game. They were they were it was a very, very bad game. Uh they really I I, I you never say this when you talk about the Islanders, but like they played a very lazy game. Just they couldn't clear, they they couldn't take the body on anybody. It was pretty bad. And I mean, they were only down two nothing deep in the third period when Anders Lee scored to make it two one. And you thought, all right, maybe they can, you know, steal a point here. But like Josh Bailey tried to pass behind him and it ended up going right to some Red Wings player. And then Pajot with like a couple of seconds ago was kind of one on one with a guy breaking. He's in the zone. He's got a shot and he shoots right into the guy's skates. Like, come on, guys. What are we even doing out here? Um Sorokin was great. He made 37 saves in that game. He was fantastic. And like, if you look at the underlying numbers, they're actually closer than they appeared, but that was not a fun game to watch. It was just really bad. And, and, you know, teams have games like that and that's just going to happen. And the Islanders were not like that in the next game, which we'll talk about in a second, but boy, that was just demoralizing and dispiriting (laughs) evening of hockey. That was really like, you know, if you're going to, if you're winning at a regular clip, you have one of these sort of brain fart games. Yeah. What are you going to do? It happens. But like, when you're trying to scratch your way back into relevance here, you can't have brain fart games. And that was particularly like, man, really, you know, after all this, this point streak now, we got to, we got to have with this now. And that really sucked. That's the first time this season I've been like, man, I I don't know about this team. I really don't. It's really unfortunate. (laughs) Yeah. They, that was a frustrating whole day, I think. Yeah. And and that's what the, these games, yeah, have, have really represented the ups and downs, and and there's been much more downs than ups this season. But you wake up in the morning. I was feeling good because you get two points against Detroit. Then we knew at that point about the Bruins coming to town, pretty depleted. So you're like, okay, like there's a chance that the Islanders could put together, collect some points, and um, just the schedule kind of set up pretty well for them. As long as the, you know, it kind of hinged on those two points getting into the pocket. Uh, and then, yeah, 11 a.m., you get the the news that Barzell's out. I think it just took the wind out of everybody's sails from the fan base to the team. And it was it was very clear from the beginning, like, how important, and mm. this is obvious, uh, that Matt Barzell is to the team. Because that was the type of game that was just begging for him to, to dominate. Because it was like two teams that were both um, very equal in terms of their roster talent. Uh, mm. And one was working harder than the other, and one had a 
goaltender. Well, they both had good goaltending in it, but one had a goaltender that was keeping him in the game and Sorokin. And um, it looked like the Islanders might be able to, to nick a couple points, but they couldn't because the problems that plagued them all season plagued them again. And like you said, <laughs> it was like to see, to see the, the team not be able to score again was frustrating, but the fact mm-hmm. that they were doing it in that fashion where it was, you know, going through the, half the team seemed to be going through the motions um, in a very winnable game was was killer. Um, and and like the the two on one goal for the the Red Wings, like just watching that. The first one going in it was weird. Looked like Joe Micheletti called the game again, which has been really strange with <laughs> with Butch out. But um, he he, it's funny to listen to him. Um, mm. Because, you know, on the Rangers broadcast, no matter what's going on, they call it like the Rangers are up 5-2 and have, <laughs> have survived some incredible adversity. Like, right. And uh, and are a win away from the Stanley Cup. They like, could be 20 points out of the playoff picture. But you you just listen to Sam and Joe and close your eyes. And it mm. it sounds like they just saved New York City with whatever win they just put together. <laughs> and um, Joe doesn't realize that. Didn't, I guess didn't get the memo that that's, that's not really how things go mm. on the Islander broadcast. Uh, At one point, I I think it was that game. I think it was that game when he was like, the, the Islanders haven't gotten a power play yet, Brendan. And I felt <laughs> like being like, yeah, Joe, that's kind of how it works around here, man. They don't get power plays, but yeah. yeah he's like, he's like, what? He's like, what? what? Yeah. <laughs> it was, it, it was really just, and he kept trying to make up a screen on that Sorokin goal. Yeah. Like, like, look, dude, like this isn't Henrik Lundqvist. If he lets in yeah. a goal that he should have had, you just say it, you know, yeah. you say I, like he, he wanted one back. I actually have that note here. Larkin on power play through Sorokin's arm, Micheletti screen. Like that's because he kept trying to make it up this, this phantom player that was somehow between Sorokin and Larkin. And there was none. There really no, was one. Really Adam Pellick was kind of around there, but it went through Sorokin's arm. Like it just happens. You know? Yeah, he and just hey, whiffed. Dylan Larkin's a good player. What are you going to do? You know, so. he whiffed on it, and yeah. he played a, a terrific game overall. And the fact that he let in two goals should have not been enough for the a team like the Red Wings, who struggled defensively right. to to win. And um, there's the, all the context you needed, Joe. You didn't need to, you know. You'll, it's <laughs> Jim Dolan's not going to come knocking on the door yeah. and being like, "You better not say anything else bad about this goaltender." Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, the game just was, that game was so frustrating because it was there to be one despite Barzell being out and there were just so many guys and we'll talk, this is going to be a common theme, but yeah, we're, we are seeing something, something, uh, very strange from Josh Bailey. And, Mm. um, in all his years of being an Islander, there's been plenty of peaks and valleys and the valleys have never been this disheartening and, and concerning. Um, and they all kind of culminated, I guess, in the Vegas game, which we'll talk about later. But uh, it, it was, it was something else because he, he, you're thinking of. First of all, we, should, we need to mention that Beauvillier, That was the game after Beauvillier was scratched. Right. He played really well, um, and and uh, was you know kind of buzzing around, and th- that line looked really close to becoming um, to finding that form that they had in the playoffs. But the problem was that the third member of the line is Josh Bailey right now. And we're, we're bad Josh Bailey. Um, very bad. Very, very bad Josh Bailey. And uh, so to, to, to there was like the, the silver lining of like Beauvillier. Like it seemed like 
the alarm bells could could have been like quieted from people who were like, oh God, he's getting scratched again. He's going to want to trade um, and all that stuff. But he played well and, and seemed to respond to the scratch in the right way. And the problem was that the guy maybe who who might need a healthy scratch more than anybody on the planet right now uh, just happens to be on his line right uh, for, for, for the stretch. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, Bailey has been um, uh, noticeably shaky. I don't want to say bad. I mean, bad is implicit, I guess, but he's been very shaky. And like you said, when we've seen a lot of this kind of stuff before and, and in particular, he's always had confidence issues, obviously before Barry Trotz got here, but really the year before, you know, he was, he was an all-star before Trotz got here. And, you know, you thought that these kind of days were over, but man, with the puck on his stick right now, I just don't trust him. Like, I just don't know what he's doing out there. The Vegas game was noticeably bad, but I thought he was worse than the Detroit game. Like that last two minutes for them was like a comedy of errors. Like it was hot potato and they just kept trying to give the puck away back to Detroit to just end the damn thing. Meanwhile, it was two one, like, you know, with no pressure on him either. No, that's been the weird part. It's like, it's, it's one thing if it may be a play off the rush, he screws up because we all know what he does. Like when he, he tries to make the extra pass pass. every time and whatever, like you can live with that. And there's, there's so many Josh Bailey moments that you can just laugh off because they're, kind of funny like a couple of games ago when he shot it backwards from like the, the bottom of the <laughs> like the right on the foot of the net and um but the ones that he's the, the mistakes he's making right now are like oh god like what is he okay like what's mm. going on with yeah. between the ears because he's he's they've been completely unforced and he um, fi- it looks like he's also laboring up and down the ice too like i wonder if he might be injured or something because he's, I mean, he's never been the, the world's fastest skater, but he used to move a lot better than he moves. He's moving right now. Yeah, he was never a liability. Right, transporting the puck, right? Like right. he would get, he could get the puck over the three lines usually without a problem. But now it's like he's he's honestly springing more chances for the other team than yeah. he is for the Islanders. And during, I think I mentioned this on the last show, but like hearing Greg Picker say that he had just he's had two games. Up until that Devils, that Devils game was the second game where he had two shots on goal. Um, was really yeah. I was like, oh god! Like what we're seeing is not just you know the parody of Josh Bailey. It's actually you know we're we're seeing <laughs> we're, mm. we're we're seeing it right. Like we're not yeah. you know this isn't just the kind of part of the 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 play. It's actually happening. And mm. um, yeah, if he doesn't get going, it's a huge issue just because. Uh, the uh the other guy on that side Kyle yeah. Palmieri the difference between the two of them is like Palmieri seems he's not like giving up chances going the other way with his mistakes he's just shooting the puck wide or missing yeah. the net or it's hopping over his stick and it's very frustrating for sure but uh at least they're not he's not springing two on ones the other way with <laughs> with very needless turnovers yeah I think I think you know again as bad as this season is gone it would not shock me to see Palmieri score you know 30 goals in the last 50 games of the season or something, like that, you know, like yeah. he's just going to rip off this huge thing. But right now, Bailey, yeah, he's a liability. Like you just can't do it. And and the funny thing is that, you know, his line. So Nelson has been really good, even though he missed two weeks with that injury. Brock Nelson has been arguably the Islanders most uh, consistent forward this season. He's been really, really good. And Beauvillier, as you mentioned, he was scratched the game before the Detroit game. Because he, he had gone 13 games without a point, comes back against the Red Wings, is noticeably good in that game. In fact, he had a back check at one point 
that was uh, really impressive. And, and you know, you can see he didn't score, obviously, only Lee scored. But uh, you can see that things were going, you know, he, his brain was sort of trending in the right direction. He had a good game despite being kept on the score sheet. Now, in the game that was after that Detroit game, the one against the Bruins, that might be the Islanders' best game uh, since that Winnipeg game that we've talked about ad nauseum on this thing. They were really, really good in that game. They had a lot of jump. Right off the bounce, um, Clutterbuck scores in the first period. They got a little bit sloppy afterwards. but uh, And then, you know, the Bruins turned it on in the second period, but uh, the Islanders withstood. And Beauvillier scored he, on the power play. That was his first point in 15 games. It was crazy. Uh, which are also Robin Sallow's uh, first NHL point. Uh, Zach Parisi was in front with the screen there. There were chances kind of both ways, but Sorokin again. Oh, uh, sorry, Varlamov played in that game. He made 40 saves. And so they needed every one of them because <laughs> he was really good. You know, the Bruins were really good, but the Islanders took advantage of a, of a Bruins team that had no Brad Marchand, no Patrice Bergeron, no Jake DeBrusque, a um, bunch of the guys. It was basically Taylor Hall, uh, uh, Charlie McAvoy, and Nick Felino out there. Uh, trying to, you know, bring the Bruins back. Taylor Hall, but did we talk about this last week, man? Taylor Hall, I don't know. That guy, he is invisible. I think I think that MVP year is starting to look more and more like the outlier. Like, I just, yes. it's really, it's sad, dude. Like, I don't know what's going on. Everybody loves this guy, but boy, he, that game was almost over before I was like, holy crap, Hall is out there? Like, I didn't even realize he was actually playing for the Bruins. That's how invisible he was. Like, he, his name just was never mentioned one, once on the broadcast. It was crazy. And I'm sure all the people on on uh, hockey Twitter who were just besides themselves right. when their team didn't acquire him at the deadline for for How two first round picks. How could more people not have traded for Taylor Hall? I can't believe this. I'm, I'm sure they're all they're all saying, "Whoops, maybe I was wrong," because that's right. you know what they always do when when maybe they misread a situation. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, he, he's it's it's weird because you think he's the perfect fit for that team. Sure, too. a team that is just begging. For someone in the middle six to to step up and pot, you know, eighteen to twenty five goals to, to take some pressure off those uh, three guys on their first line, and yeah, I I mean you, it, I remember in the playoffs, um, I think it was game two, yeah, game two on the the Sezikis game, um, he. I remember him. He he's just skating down the wing, and he skated. He he had a good ch- opportunity, but he skated himself out of it. I was like, yeah, this guy is just—he hmm. just seems like he's probably a little broken. And he, and from that point on, I wasn't as scared of him for that entire series as I thought I was going to be. Um, you know, every time David Pasternak had the puck on his stick, I was, you know, bricking it. But every time Taylor Hall had it, it was like, you know, we might as well be Chris Wagner. Uh, hmm. So, uh, but yeah, he's—it's—he's a—he's an interesting case and somebody that, uh, yeah, the all the all the people out there who who were really upset with. Uh, their local general manager for not paying whatever the Buffalo got for him, uh, paying more than that, or you know, they, <laughs> they should probably, uh, you know, mea culpa a little bit, but they won't. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going. On. I mean, and I don't know. Maybe he, he had COVID before or not. Maybe he's okay. You know, still recovering. But I, I thought it was very weird. I was like, oh boy, here we go. Here's his breakout game, and he just it just never materialized. But uh, the Islanders played really, really well in that game. Uh, they. Um, there was some some four and four play, um, and uh, Varley came within just a few seconds of a shutout when Mike Riley just sort of flipped the puck towards him and it kind of fluttered over his glove, and that was about it. And and Brendan kind of hilariously was like, "And now the only thing left to get is a shutout for number forty, 
and then uh, Mike Riley scored immediately afterwards. So that <laughs> <laughs> was that was actually really funny. But anyway, um, but other than that, the game was really good. Again, they traded chances back and forth, and and the Islanders came out on top. And it was a, it was a pretty darn good game uh, for that for them. You know, considering especially considering how just awfully poorly entertaining that that unentertaining that Detroit game was. The Bruins game was like a revelation. It was it was really good. And and you know what? Not again. I'm sorry the the Bruins didn't have Marshan and per, and and um, uh, Bergeron. They did have Pasternak. I forgot about him. But I'm also not sorry because the Islanders had to pl- open up UBS Arena with you know uh, Otto Koivula manning the third <laughs> line. So I'm sorry. I'm not going to be too too broken up yeah. about it. Um, but so that was a good one, and that was an encouraging one. And you know, again, compared combined with the games before the Detroit game, where the Islanders had put together a bunch of points, you could see that they were maybe starting to turn things around. So here comes the Vegas Golden Knights and our friend Robin Leonard. We'll, we'll get to him in a second because we should we definitely going to uh, park some time for him, as uh, one uh, one prominent voice would say. But uh, you know, again, the, the game was was pretty good. I thought they went right right with the Golden Knights the whole time. Uh, but you had two more guys on the COVID list: Mar- Matt Martin and Robin Sallow. Both were late scratches, um, which put uh, Kiefer Bellows and Sebastian Ajo in. Bellows has actually been pretty good over this little stretch, and he ended up. Scoring a tying goal in the third period um, uh, off a great feed from Zach Parisi. And I thought the idea of like a, you know, Bellows from Parisi is a goal that could happen in you know, 1981, you know, just different, <laughs> different Parisi and a different Bellows. But uh, but I thought that was kind of cool. Um, they almost took a lead on a Cal Clutterbuck goal, but it got called back because Casey Zizekas was 10 feet off sides. But then Pajot scored and they did take a lead. And then a, a, a very similar thing happened to that Nashville game that that drove us absolutely crazy a couple episodes ago. The this, the dying seconds in the game, and all of a sudden there's uh, uh, the puck is behind the Islanders' net. All the guys got to do is look up and read the situation and play it smartly. And instead, Scott Mayfield this time, not Noah Dobson. Scott Mayfield rims the puck around the side, and it goes right to some Vegas player who sends it to Shea Theodore who scores his second goal of the game. And that was it with 45 seconds left. They did tie the game that did tie the game. And so we went to overtime. So that makes it a little bit better than the Nashville game. But of course the Islanders didn't do anything. They, they had the, all the, the puck, the entire overtime didn't score. And of course in the shootout, they, they lost because they always lose in shootouts and that was it. And so what went from being two points went down to one and it's like, yeah, okay. One point's better than none, but Come on, man! Like this is the kind of stuff, and this is where you, where you why what you said before was 100 percent correct. This is a micro, microcosm of the season, and that it's yes, they're being hit by injuries. Yes, you know they're they're not playing to the best of their ability all the time. But then it's just these mental mistakes that just are costing them points night after night after night, and it's it's really really frustrating to watch because it's like Scott Mayfield, like you got he was so good in the playoffs. Cause he was so aware and he was like, so hyper, you know, uh, sort of, uh, he had like spidey sense. Like he was, you know, able to anticipate plays and jump on pucks and score and, and set up offensive plays that he had never done before. And now all of a sudden he's just kind of blindly giving the puck away to the other team with 45 seconds left to go in a game where you've got a one goal lead. It's like, dude, what are you doing? Like, and this, again, this is a week after the, the Nashville game and Do- Noah Dobson did the same thing. And so it's like, Oh man, it's just, it's very frustrating to watch. And it's, it's really, it's really been that kind of season this year. It's just, you know, if it's not them, if it's not these forces, it's themselves. And it's just, it's really driving me crazy. <laughs> yeah. The, and and I was really, the thing that was great about that Bruins game was we didn't really see much of that. Right. right. Like, 
they they really seem to to bike, buckle down those uh, mistakes. I I was there with uh, my wife Emily, who's a Bruins fan, and she she, she was not thrilled about even going after the <laughs> the Bergeron and uh, Marchand uh, dues, but we went anyways, and uh, she's been pretty lucky charm for the Islanders when, when they, they play the Bruins somehow. <laughs> I was going to say the, she might just not go because every time she goes, the Bruins lose. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, but there, there was a great moment where like Simeon Verlamov, uh, who's good by the way, like he was really mm. good in that Bruins game. Um, covered a, he's like very good at, uh, look if, if like the puck is kind of loose at, uh, just kind of looking funny <laughs> when he covers it up. Like he like sprawls out, like, like almost like a, yoga pose or something and find some <laughs> puck and uh we get we had a really good laugh about that because that that is something that i've noticed about him since since then uh or thought about uh, <laughs> you know uh but yeah the thing about that bruins game leading into the knights game was when the islanders were uh even when it was 2-2 in the third when they tied it up on that bell's goal i started to think you know you you, you thought about those two games almost as one thing right like they are trending in the right direction because they're they're sticking with Vegas, they're looking looking like they could get a point out of this one at least. Um, and if you couple that with what you saw in the Bruins game, plus you go to uh, the Devils game before the uh, Red Wings game, you're like, okay, maybe they are you know starting to find that consistency. And then, and then it all came undone very predictably. The um, <laughs> I was at that the Vegas game just was a emotional event i think mm. just it's so funny how a two o'clock start start on a sunday afternoon in december against the vegas golden <laughs> knights turned into this you know emotional kind of thing um and it started with the andy green uh mm. ceremony uh which i will never forget this the the image of josh bailey skating down the ice with those roses in his hands <laughs> it's just so funny to me um but uh <laughs> who would have thought you know mm. if you asked andy green four years ago hey who, you know what's your thousandth game look like I don't think mm. he thought Josh Bailey would be featuring, but um, <laughs> yeah, I thought that, uh, you know, that, that Vegas game just from start to finish, like they looked good. They looked competent. Uh, they were once again, missing Matt Barzell, which meant they were skating. The Nelson line is definitely the de, the de facto number one line when he's out. Um, but you're, you're looking at a, a like a, maybe a number one line with, without Barzell, like when, with Nelson and whatever. Um, and then you're looking at, basically two number three lines and then mm. a fourth line. And, and the, the fourth line in that game was really good. I thought uh, with, with even big Ross uh, mm. trots was using them against the Max Petschi already line, which I was a little befuddled about, but he, they played well. And Kyle Clarterbuck, I think outside of Nelson, maybe it's been the Islanders most consistent player, uh, at least for the past, you know, five weeks or so. And uh, seeing him score was, was good. And then uh, from God, the, so the Islanders scored that first goal that got taken back, the Clutterbuck one. Um, and my friend Eric, who came to the game with, uh, we, we both were like, "All right, that's that's a point. Thank God we're going to get a point out of this <laughs> game." That's that's all. That's honestly, it was a classic. You would have signed up for a point before the game, right? But knowing what happened, you you you're disappointed by a point kind of game. Uh, they took it away, and we're like, "Shit, we we just jinxed the point." And then they <laughs> score again. We're like, "Oh, we're getting a point. That's great." Um, we sit back down after celebrating the goal. And he turns to me, he's like, all right, so like, how's this going to, how's this goal, the tying goal going to happen? And I was like, yeah, like, well, it's definitely, you know, it's, you know, I could see it. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm picturing a Scott Mayfield flub, flubbed clear. Someone cuts it off at the half wall. 
and finds <laughs> like you know i think i think we were say we said uh marcia saw but or someone else but you know and ended up being shay theodore but it was just so obvious too because i actually wasn't too mad about there was an icing right before that hmm. uh, um and i wasn't too mad about that icing i was like you know what like they they had no real out to get out of the zone there i didn't think and uh you, you, they won the face off. They, they were totally in control of the situation, uh, which has been like you talk about Josh Bailey stuff. Like that's been where these mistakes have come from. They've come out of absolutely nowhere. Mm. Um, they were the Dobson one, this one, and a lot of those Bailey plays, in, including in this game, which I really like. Yeah, the, May, the Mayfield play was bad, but I don't really know if Bailey completed more passes to the Islanders or the Knights in this game. Um, and then there was a great, you know, kind of three or four minute span where he passed up a golden opportunity to shoot the puck. Um, mm. it was coming in our direction. So I think it was the third period and then people got on his case. Then he made, he, then he turned the puck over and then did his next shift. He had like, it was a power play next shift comes out there and has no angle mm. whatsoever fires a puck ran into someone's skates gets the puck back and then fires it once again at Robin Leonard. So you just tell you like, he's so rattled out there. He's making the wrong decision at the wrong time. Uh, basically every time he's on the puck and, but he is, he's, he's the one who's doing it the most consistently. And, but there's a lot of players who are doing it at horrible times, And, uh, that's what we saw out of Mayfield hmm. to really just like, like I said, an incredibly emotional day because you start with the Andy green thing, who by the way, has also, I think been pretty solid for the hmm. Islanders, uh, the past few weeks. Um, He's just does he he is exactly who Andy Green is, right? Like he just plays a very uneventful style of hockey and it works. And um he, it's been working decently uh past few weeks. He's I was saying earlier, like I feel like he's like the type of guy you give him uh, a list of groceries at the supermarket and he's gonna get every one of them. There's gonna be no problem. Like <laughs> no oh, more, I no less. I didn't know where these aisle I didn't know this right. aisle is. Like he's gonna get every single one. Oh, these these were on sale, so I bought eight of them. That's my usually thing. Why do we have these boxes of devil dogs? Oh, they were on sale. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, no, he's he's getting exactly what's on your list. He's doing Mm. it in in the most efficient way, and he's coming home, and that's going to be it. That the big shop is over for the week. What? Um. Yeah. So then you go from that to you know the Robin Leonard tribute, and then you throw in what happened during the game. Mm. It's just like you just all over the place in that one. Yeah, it was a it was a. Very exhausting game. I thought Chara was actually not too bad. Yeah, in the, the two games. I mean, I don't want to say it because yeah. Well, it's no, just, they. It's like uh, I don't just want to jinx him and like. Yeah. <laughs> also, I'm uh, nervous. Like when Salo comes back and and Pollock yeah. comes back, I'm like, I kind of hope that Chara's not playing so well that he doesn't. He's not the that, that's the yeah, odd man and, out. And every time they get hung up in their own zone, I look and there's number thirty three. He's always the one in the center of it every <sighs> single time. But uh, it, it did seem to be a little bit less noticeable on, on that end in the last couple of games. But, yeah, it, it was frustrating. And, you know, again, the, the Knights came in super hot. They had won four or five in a row. They were coming off a one nothing win, I think, over the Rangers the night before. Maybe I might be misremembering. But, you know, they had chances to win, and they didn't. And, again, one, one brain fart kept them from winning. And that's just kind of been the story of the season. But as far as Robin Leonard goes, um, it was a cool moment. Um, you know, he's, he's said all these cool things. He had that great tweet where he shaved off his beard. Uh, they had the video tribute, which you and I talked about, uh, before it actually happened. And he kind of touched his, his, uh, uh, Long Island tattoo on his neck. Is this the first time a player has ever returned to a team that, that left, let him go 
in free agency and came back with a tattoo of that place <laughs> on his body somewhere. Like, I don't remember anybody ever doing that, coming back and being like, yeah, I got this tat right here of this team I don't play for anymore. So, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, that was kind of Yeah, weird. I thought it was really, I mean, that, that there used to, I used to get pretty frustrated at, at like things like this when the Islanders are bad. So it's like, oh, like, I don't really care that it's, you know, Brad Lukowicz is back in the building or whatever, you know, like it's just not that right. big a deal. Like I'm, I want to see the Islanders win. Like I'm not here to see that. Like if, in, and then when this, there is some like success, these things become better. Like they become kind of nice little tangents along the journey of, of rooting for a good team. Um, and yeah, there, this was a game that I really circled on the calendar. Um, for three seasons now basically yeah i was gonna say it's taking so long to get here i'm not surprised and um it was yeah i mean it was really nice and and i think the best part of the whole thing was that it when it when it happened like it everybody was waiting you could tell everyone was waiting for it because Hmm. um the the TV timeout started and as soon as it did you know leonard skated off to the boards like he would normally do in a break but the crowd just rose, but even before, like as soon as the announce, like it could, it could have been um, the PA announcer being like, "Hey, just be aware of pucks and sticks that could fly into the, to the, uh, <laughs> to the crowd," because he didn't even say anything yet. You could just tell the mic was turned on because there was no music, and everyone just rose out to their seat. And look, the Islander fan base is, uh, I guess, a little unruly. Could be a little polarizing, I guess, if you're on the outside of it. And um, there, there's one guy who who really has uh, understands where we're coming from maybe better than anybody. And that, uh, that is, uh, Robin Leonard. And, and he did it in one year, mm. like in, in one thing two people forget is he was not good <laughs> in like the first three years before, or the last three years in Buffalo. Like, so Lou, Lou took a calculated risk signing him. He didn't he, first. And also Lou doesn't really get much, much credit for that signing first of all, too, which is, uh, a great move for for him and Leonard, and uh, it's he comes in his lights out basically, and the uh, yeah the 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 juxtaposition of that and the, the Tavares game too, which I remember Leonard having like a, a wry tweet after that game too because he was in goal for the Islanders. Um, he might even mention like, oh god, like I hope I get you know better treatment when, if I ever come back or something, but. Um, <laughs> It's just, it's so funny because people will, they talked about that for, you know, it was in the news cycle for four days, maybe after mm, the right. Tavares thing, the, the mayor of Toronto. Yeah. They wanted call, to throw you a, know, call, a parade of John Tavares school day. basically. And yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and it, like there were some people talking about the, the Leonard thing, but it just wasn't even. Yeah. Close and it was very and it was mentioned in like a oh yeah you know that was like really nice to see and you know good for Leonard and whatever but um, nobody nobody really ever mentions the fact that like w- the connection like if we do connect with you as a fan base like you mm. co- just watch how the crowd lights up when they show Darius Kasparaitis who played for the Rangers like they still <laughs> love him because they connected with him like this right. is this is uh this is what people kind of miss about this fan base and like misrepresent yeah. about it too. Uh, so yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was a really, really nice moment. I was really happy to be there. Uh, mm. It was, and then the first goal went in the Nelson goal off the, uh, 
skate. skate. Yeah. And uh, I was just like, you know what? I kind of hope that none of the goals I get by him tonight are clean. The <laughs> Islanders win 4-3 on four deflections off shin pads. He was, but He was definitely mad at himself about that Bellows thing because he, yeah, he was and just and launched it past him. So. Me and but, my uh, buddy were like, that was that was him giving us one, I think. He's like, <laughs> I'm going to get both teams a point here because I know that yeah. the Islanders really need it. And, and I'm, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm a part of the Knights, but. Yeah, I, I mean, it was, it was, I, oh, you couldn't hear the, the, it's so funny that when the Tavares one happened, you couldn't hear anything on the tribute video. You couldn't hear mm. what they were saying. And there was like that weird, really awkward point where they were like showing his like charity video work, mm. like work of him, like helping kid, uh, you know, kids maybe who were sick or whatever. And, and people were like booing because no one was looking at the video. Everyone was looking at him. Um, and then it was the complete opposite with Leonard where you couldn't, you still couldn't hear it, but you couldn't hear it because everyone was cheering, cheering so loud yeah. and, uh, he was, yeah, it was just, it was nice. I mean, it's just something that, uh, one of those, probably, like one of the high points of the season so far, because, you know, the other high point of the season was a two nothing shutout and against Winnipeg <laughs> six weeks ago in the Bruins yeah. game. No, but you're hundred percent right. And I, I couldn't have said it better. Like the, the connection that he forged with this fan base and this team in one season has eclipsed the connection that most people have with this, this fan, this team, in their entire lives. And, and I mean, for obviously most people don't care because they're fans or whatever, but you know, even people that cover, cover teams and cover the NHL, they have never connected with this, this team. They still don't understand what we do or how we do things. And there's no better example of that than, you know, Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick. They talked about it on 32 thoughts this week and you know, they gave it a couple of minutes and they, they said, like, what well, you said? Oh, it's so nice for Leonard to go back there. And, you know, he showed his tattoo and everything, but you know, then immediately Elliot is like, you know, Islanders fans, they don't do well with leaving, with people leaving. And I was like, well, now hold on a second. Here we're talking about celebrating a guy who left and came back and he's getting this, you know, gold, this kid glove, you know, red carpet treatment. Kyle Oposo left as a free agent, came back and got cheered. Franz Nielsen left as a free agent, came back and got cheered. Matt Molson left as a trade and then a free agent, came back and got cheered. Calvin DeHaan came back and maybe not got cheered, but he certainly didn't get booed either. Um, these are guys that, have left and were not cast as villains immediately. It seems like we just have a problem with one guy leaving <laughs> and everybody else is sort of, okay, we're all sort of okay with it. Like we kind of understand the circumstances. We're not morons. Like we get the circumstances. We understand why these guys stay and leave. And we understand why one guy left and we understand why we're still mad at him. And they'll never understand why we're still mad. And they're still complaining about it. you. You talked about people, you know, that was in the news cycle. It was they were still complaining about it this year when the Leafs played here again against a team that had nine friggin' AHLers in the lineup. So I don't know who you think you beat. <laughs> and yeah. I mean, I think Islanders fans had a reason to be pretty angry in that game. But you know, I just found it funny. He's like, "Oh, they have a problem with with people leaving." No, they we had a problem with one guy leaving. A lot yeah. of other guys seem to be okay with leaving. You know, I mean, how, how you know the minute he retires, Kyle Oposo is going to be at a game at UBS Arena. And he's going to get a huge pop. Like it's just, it's one of us. I'm surprised that Franz Nielsen hasn't happened already. Like maybe it'll happen later this year, but I just thought that was kind of funny. Yeah. That, you know. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, they, the, the, like I said, like they just don't understand. And, and, and the sad thing is they've had so much time. Yes. The past yeah. two years to get to know the fan base now, because the Islanders have been one of four teams left. Yeah. Right. So that means you're, go, you're covering four teams. Um, plus, you know, whatever the Leafs are doing in the off season. So five. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when when it's all said and done, and they still just missed exactly yeah. what you know is going on, and it's because I thought one one yeah. other thing that was great was that his wife came too. Like when when yeah, do you think Matt Sundin brought his wife back when <laughs> when you know he he came back to Toronto the first time after <laughs> he left? Dude, dude, 
James Reimer's wife didn't want to go to the games when she was playing when he was playing for the Leafs because they made her life miserable because her her, her husband was in goal when they lost the playoff series. So there you go. But uh, anyway, Robin Leonard, we salute you. Glad you come back. Sorry, you stole a point from us. <laughs> but hopefully, uh, we we, we they, the Islanders did beat the the Knights uh, in a shutout uh, out there. So three out of four points in the season series is pretty good. We'll see you again in the Stanley Cup final, my friend. But in any <laughs> event, uh, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to have a special guest, our most special guest that we have ever had on this show. It's Arthur Staple, of course. And he's going to uh, talk with us. So we're going to ask a couple of questions about the current Islanders. But uh, we're going to talk to him about his decade on the beat. And uh, how it's uh, come to an end uh, recently. Uh, but he's still going to be around. So don't worry. He's still writing about the Islanders a little bit. But uh, we're going to get some stories out of him. So that'll be a lot of fun. So I'll uh, come back in a minute. Thanks. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And now a word from our sponsors. First always is VintageIceHockey.com, where you can get t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs featuring over 100 classic hockey logos. Vintage Ice Hockey also carries our Al Arbor t-shirt, and our portion of the sales go directly to the Center for Dementia Research. Use the code LIGHTHOUSE15 at the checkout to get 15% off your order. Betway is the official betting partner of the NHL. Play Big Pick for free or play for real. Residents in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Colorado, Idaho, and Iowa only. Check the link in the podcast description to join. Must be 21 or over. Terms and conditions apply. Try wines from the Pinot Project. Delicious Pinot Noir, Pinot Grigio, and Rosé, all under $15 a bottle. Available at your local wine shop and at UBS Arena. Please play and drink responsibly. Okay, uh, we have a special guest with us. Again, our most special guest that we always have uh, every season on this show. And he's really our one of our three recurring guests. But we love him. And he's going to share some stories about his decade on the beat. And he is Arthur Staple of The Athletic. Art, how are you? I'm good. I'm good, Dan. How are And Mike, uh, everything's good pandemic normal i guess and uh it's nice to be putting a bow on my many years of covering the islanders and many years of coming on this particular podcast which is my favorite my favorite one to do um, oh. it's uh i feel like we have the best most free-flowing conversations here and that's uh that's really the best way to talk about the islanders there's no condensing it down to like a three or four minute soundbite. Like if I'm doing <laughs> NHL network radio or whatever, like it just, there's never, there's never, you can never sum up the Islanders in just a few minutes. So this is, yeah. this is he, ideal. Like, like when yeah. Jeff Merrick when it, asked you what, that he couldn't figure out and nobody could figure out what's gone wrong with the Islanders this year. So can you try to tell us? <laughs> sure. Sure. If we could take the whole, that's, that's Jeff, the you, whole have purpose. Have you ever heard of the got, Bible? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, lo- yeah, I'm it- looking at I'm looking at uh, this is episode 184 for you guys, and I'm mm. sure you still haven't 
caught up to what's gone wrong with them in the last 10 years. So <laughs> yeah, whenever my wife or daughter is watching and they're like, how's it going? And I'm always like, oh, it's a long story. It's just a whole thing. You they know, don't know I've where their it. best player is. Yeah. Right. <laughs> even even oh. when they're winning, it's like, yeah, they're winning now, but don't, don't talk to me again until the game is over. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but yeah, but you know, that, that's the funny thing is like, you know, you, you cover a team for 10 years and you like, pull together this wealth of knowledge and this like history. It's like, you know, the team has a history, but then you have a history with the team too, that, uh, you know, is sort of its own separate story. And we got, you know, some of the team, most of the team history from your book, a hundred and things Islanders fans should know and do before they die. Um, but, uh, we are going to try and mine some, some personal <laughs> stories coming up soon, but first let's, let's talk about the current team first because they are on a break and it has been just an absolute, circus shit show of a season so far as Mike and I covered in the first part of the show. But, um, you know, it's the one thing that struck me that's really funny is that this has been a season of like stops and starts. So like they had the, the 13 game road trip. And even at the time, Barry Trotz was saying, you know, the road trip isn't the problem. The problem is like, we have a game once every three days, we have two games and we have off for 11 days and we have, a, um, and now they're paused again. They have don't have any games for the next couple of days. They're, they're playing actually a, a week from yesterday. They play on Monday in Buffalo, provided that game doesn't get canceled too. But at the same time, you can almost make the argument, or definitely make the argument, that pauses have helped the Islanders in the last couple of years. They obviously came out of the, the first pandemic break, hit the bubble, and just went completely crazy. And then last year, they had a 56-game season where they, they were did really well And after that break and, and went all the way to the semifinal too. So, like... But now they've been kind of gaining momentum. So how do you think that they this pause, even if it's just a week, will affect this team this year? Because it seems like breaks have just absolutely killed them, amongst other things, this year. And I don't think this is really going to help them, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to disagree with you. I just feel <laughs> like I, I'm going to go with your original theory, which is pauses help this team. They, they've got <laughs> they've got the best coach they've had in the last you know 35 years. Uh, a guy who clearly knows how to use those pauses to his advantage, and he's got a lot to to chew over right now, even if it's only a few days. I don't think he's sitting around opening, going to be opening Christmas presents or playing <laughs> playing Santa this year. He's <clears throat> he's in serious mode, uh, and they're that much closer to getting Matthew Barzell, who I presume will be at least out of COVID protocol by mm. the time they get back. So that's obviously At least out of Detroit, dish. I hope. <laughs> Where out of wherever he is. Right. Uh, stuck on, you know, I seventy or something in the middle <laughs> of the Midwest. Hmm. But uh and then Ryan Pollock ideally would be closer to being back. I don't know how much closer because if he's not skating yet, I don't know if he's allowed to skate during hmm. this break. It's Lou Lamarello, so I'm sure whatever he's doing to get closer to getting back, he's doing whether it's allowed or not. So um I think that part of it is is good for them and it, and not completely reminiscent of of 2 years ago, you know, when they when they came back from the long pause and magically had a healthy Adam Pellick uh <laughs> to kind of help them get through the bubble, but um but in a kind of a smaller scale version of it and they're going to need everybody they have because the you know, they've played the fewest games of anybody, so that means you're going to see a very condensed schedule for them when they get back going and games that are going to be stuffed in uh, to that, the you know the former Olympic break in February. So, uh, I, I think in general it's a good thing for them. Um, they've got they're an old team, older team. Those guys that always need rest. I think there's a couple guys who, you know, Paul, Kyle Palmieri, Josh Bailey, um, guys that are nearing 
you know, the 30 game mark of the season with one goal, I'm sure a little bit of a mental break is probably good for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, this will help them. I think, um, whether it's enough to help them out of the hole that they're in is completely other story. And, and maybe that's your next question, but, <laughs> uh, but I think in the short term, this is going to help. Yeah. I was going to say like, you know, it, it's hard for me to say this because unlike years past, you haven't been in a locker room and like been able to talk to these guys and kind of get a sense of, you know, you hear them say something and maybe you get a sense of something else from the way they're saying it, but like they they do have they have dug themselves quite a hole and and they acknowledge that but i mean do do you get the sense that they are sort of teetering on the brink of some kind of you know awful season i mean I, and i'm not saying that they're going to tank or anything and obviously some guys have have been fantastic brock nelson andrews lee i think has really been good and sorokin obviously is fantastic every time he plays but like do you think that 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 huge problem that, you know, the fact that they're in last place in the standings is kind of like weighing on these guys mentally at this point with all of the other stuff that they've had to deal with, even if it hasn't been their fault. Again, it's nobody's fault. Ryan Pollock got hurt or whatever. It's you know, the COVID thing, but it's just like, do you feel like they're, they're kind of, it's, it's really, they feel like they're carrying a rock uphill here. <laughs> is that the sense that you're getting? You know, in back in normal times, I think mm. you look at, some teams that eventually got over the hump. And I'm thinking specifically of the lightning of kind of the mid 2010s. They made it to a final, they made it to a couple of conference finals. And then they had a a season, I think it was 16, 17, where everything just fell to pieces. Hmm. Um, Didn't make the playoffs, you know, had a couple of key guys hurt early. They just, they looked awful. And it was Hmm. kind of, you know, they, they weren't going to rebuild. They weren't going to sell off any of their guys. They just sucked. You know, (laughs) it didn't go right. Uh, and obviously they turned it around in a pretty dramatic way, yeah. but, um, I think those seasons happened to good teams. You know, I, I'm, I'm an, an old timey Ranger fan as a kid. And, you know, when they got Mark Messier 30 years ago, I don't want to go wax too poetic about the <laughs> Rangers, but like everyone thought night, you know, they get Mark Messier, they've got great team in the late nineties, in the early nineties, as the Islanders were kind of fading a little bit. And then they missed the playoffs in 92, 93, the Islanders big year. Uh, and turn around and win the Stanley Cup the next year. It's I, I just think that there's there's teams that, you know lose Devils teams had some of those in in the 90s and 2000 I think in the 90s after they won their first cup missed the playoffs yeah, next missed, year. Yeah. <clears throat> so you know there are just seasons where you don't throw up your hands, and Lou will never throw up his hands not at <laughs> his age. Um, but I, I just think you know you the brakes are beating you, and I and I really feel like. It, it doesn't come through all the time, but in some one-on-one conversations with guys and talking to people, um, you know, these last two years have been mentally very heavy for guys mm-hmm. in the league. And it's, you know, nobody's looking for sympathy or anything, but I think the bubble as successful as it was for the Islanders was a real grind. Uh, they were probably happy to have a shortened season last year with very little travel. And then, you know, no fans. I think the no fans thing really, it's hard to it's hard to get up as a pro athlete game in and game out with no fans around. And uh, the fact that they were able to kind of get through last season and still make the playoffs, and then as the fans came back and that sort of emotional roller coaster ride. And now you get into this season, and everybody thinks it's going to be normal, uh, but it wasn't normal for the Islanders, even if there was no Omicron variant or any you know or COVID still uh, you know barreling through the, the the continent and the world. Thirteen game road trip, new arena all these things that, that could have really thrown them off the track in a normal year. Um, and, ju- and you sort of think like 
they're five, two and two, and they're a period away in Minnesota from being six, two and two and guaranteeing themselves of a winning record through those first 13 games. And then it just all goes to shit. And yes. <laughs> and it, and it's, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't sudden. You could see that there were some holes in their game and that game, they were a little tired in the third period and, you know, the goalie didn't make enough saves, but, um, but really that was kind of the first little snowflake. And then, you know, they go, they, you know, they, they play a bad game in New Jersey. Bailey goes on COVID protocol. Pollock gets hurt. Um, and then the, you know, then it's a, a giant snowball rolling downhill and it's, it's incredible how the little, you know, one, one bad, you know, good bounce or bad bounce here or there. And suddenly, um, they're feeling a lot better about themselves. And I think that I think the playing through two seasons of the pandemic and the, and the kind of the mental grind of that and the way that they play all kind of conspires to say, like when things start to tip back into the negative and, you know, into the red a little bit, they can really go into the red because you don't, you don't have a lot of reserve. I think none of us have any reserve of no. mental strength about anything. I certainly don't once I get to this time of day. Mm. Um, yeah. So I think if you think about it in that context, it's, uh, it, it doesn't make sense, but it is understandable. Yeah. What, like, I mean, it's funny thinking back to last year too, because right now I think there's exactly 56 games left, right? So you think about if the Islanders can basically replicate what they did last year and, and, I am looking around the league, like I see the, the Ducks record, and I through thirty-two games or whatever, and the Predators at nineteen and ten and two or something through thirty games. And you're like, the, the Islanders are better than those two teams on paper when they're healthy, and um, they can certainly rip rip those kind of streaks off. Uh, they need to. It's you know that's not a, they can. It's that they have to at this point. But the question I have is, what do you think is now the most important thing? for them to get or for, for it to happen for them to be able to do that outside, like pull out coming back by yourself, whatever, like that stuff is obvious, but like, is it Josh Bailey? Coming, no, it's it's becoming Jake, human again. It's Jacob Chikrin. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I think that's a pretty easy answer mm-hmm. that it's a guy that can, can make a difference. And, and I don't, there's no way that Lou is going to overlook this season. I mean, I understand that, they're they're treading water and if the season had continued without any pause and they were doing this win one blow a lead lose a point thing then it does get too late too quickly even if it's only the halfway mark of the season you just can't make up those kind of points with all the three-point games that you get in january and february and march you know the 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 schedule is going to be so odd um going forward when they get back that Maybe it's odd enough that they don't need to rip off, you know, what are their 22 points. Maybe they don't need 60, you know, they don't need 75 points in the last 56 games or 76 points. Maybe they only need 70 or 69. Maybe they can squeeze in with 90 or 91 if one of the teams that's in one of those top four spots in the Metro just completely falls apart and COVID could happen. Injuries are, are going to be much more frequent, I think, with all the condensed games. Um, so there's a, there's certainly teams, whether it's the Rangers or, or Washington or Pittsburgh, that a couple of key injuries could really, could really, you know, drop a stone on their season. But, um, but I think the biggest difference would be, you know, the, the, the kind of the, the difference making trade, the, the trade that Lou wasn't able to make in the off season. It really, if there's, like I wrote, you know, kind of my last Islanders article, if there's an original sin of this season, it was trading Nick Letty 
which was the right move at the time, but not being able to execute the, the second part of that plan, which was, I presume, to bring in a similar guy on a little bit on a little bit more affordable contract um, to be that second pair guy. And, and you know, you, you bring in Zdeno Chara and I think it, it's fair to criticize him. It's a little bit unfair to criticize him for being not being a top four defenseman anymore <laughs> because he's just not, he's, he's almost my age. And um, it's uh, it's a lot to ask for a guy, even a guy who's in as crazy shape as he is. Um, and it's really showed. And, you know, I think, you know, I, talking with Scott Gordon on my, on my uh, no sleep till Belmont podcast earlier today about that game in Detroit, where the, the clear strategy for the Red Wings was dump the puck in the Charles corner, make him turn around and we're going to go get it. We're going to beat him to the puck. And now he's going to be out of position. And they, you know, they were just pumping shot after shot after <laughs> shot on net with Chara out there. And that's, you know, I think you're just asking him to do too much in the context of, where he is in his career right now. So I think that's the spot that was had a big hole in it in the off season. And it wasn't filled the way that you really needed to fill it. Uh, and there's a guy out there now, you know, I, I think a lot of us were throwing his name around kind of in jest a, a month or so ago saying, well, obviously it's Arizona. They're not going to hold on to him. And now it seems to be a little bit more serious. <clears throat> and, you know, would you, would you make a put together a package of Anthony Beauvillier, Robin Sallow, um, maybe maybe someone else in your first round pick to to get a guy who's cost controlled, who's young, who moves the puck well, who's, who can play physical, uh, to, to plug in behind Adam Pellick? Like hell yeah, you'd do that. And I think <laughs> I think the way that the Islanders play and the way that they've looked so far this year is you know partly a reflection of they just they just don't have the the same sort of confidence and the same kind of spine that they've had uh even at full strength in in some of their games and obviously the the injuries and the covid you know that that stretch where they just were playing half a team and looked like it <laughs> but i think even at full strength now are they the team that can can play can be 20 games over 500 for the whole season i, I don't know and i i think maybe that would behoove Lou to to make that move that he couldn't make in the off season maybe he couldn't didn't want to pull the trigger maybe it wasn't available didn't make sense wasn't the right guy um i think i think you go for it now and even if it doesn't work this year you still that's a guy that you still have for a lot of years so that that's the kind of move i think that that can be the thing that that gives them the boost and gives everyone in that room a little bit of rejuvenated feeling about this season because if you just attack it with the same group and they blow another lead late or they, you know, give up another point or don't win an extra time. Um, then I think you kind of fall back into that same, like we just can't get it done with this group. And that that's a long, long season to go through feeling that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. That would be interesting. Yeah. His name is out there for sure. And uh, I mean, when your team is as bad as Arizona is, has been this year, it's not surprising. We've been there a lot. And I, I think that's, that's a great way to segue to, um, you know, taking a, a look back at, at your decade on the beat. And uh, I think, you know, the fact that we're here sitting here talking about all these expectations that the Islanders haven't achieved yet is sort of a testament to the the complete sort of 180 turnaround of where this team was from when you first started covering them. Um, and so, I mean, I, I guess it's sort of a general question, but aside from the record and, you know, the fact that, you know, there are expectations now to win, like, 
what what's the biggest difference between then and now? Like, or is that, or is that really just that there are expectations now and they're like, there are people in charge that kind of have expectations, but like surely going to work uh, or covering the Islanders now was a different experience than it was when you took over and like Steve Sterling was the coach, right? Is that, <laughs> was he the coach back then? <clears throat> no, that's too far ago for me. Oh, but, right. <laughs> uh, uh, my first full season on the beat was, was 2011, 12. So it was, it was the Jack kind of the, the, the first full season of the Jack Capuano year. I'd, I'd been around, you know, with Katie Strang on the beat for the previous couple of years, but not in a full-time capacity. Mm. So, um, but it still was bad then, <laughs> you know, they yeah. were, um, they were not, they were not a good team. They had some good pieces and, and Garth Snow was, uh, you know, was doing as much as he could, maybe not, not uh, perfectly, but, uh, but more good than bad, given the constraints, the budget constraints from Charles Wong, not just with the roster, but with his front office. Um, and, you know, it was, it, it's a weird thing to describe from my standpoint, but, you know, I'd been a sports writer for a long time, even then. 20 years and uh and you like covering good teams because everybody's happier when they come to work but there are <laughs> there are situations where you're you feel good about covering a team that's just you know that's got a little bit of drama to it on a daily basis and and the islanders uh you know the the chip on the shoulder when it comes to the rest of the league was was something that was a benefit to me because they all felt it they all expressed it a lot. And I was really the only one at that time with Newsday that was around on a, on a day-to-day basis. So you, you develop good relationships with people because you can commiserate with their feelings of, of, you know, being a second class citizen around the league or feeling disrespected. I mean, it, you know, it wasn't that season, but a couple of seasons later when, when Thomas Vanek, who was probably the most unfiltered guy that I covered in 10 years with the Islanders, when he just, <laughs> came out and said that the league screwed them on his <laughs> waved off overtime goal against the blues. That I will never forget that goal ever. In my that time. I still talk about it all the time. <laughs> clearly a goal. And yeah. he just said like, yeah, we're the Islanders. We get screwed. And I was like, you've been here for a month. Like, how did you pick <laughs> it up so quickly? And, and he was on um, the team. He was on the team that we got screwed against in the yes. Sabres series in, in a similar situation too, Thomas. Right. Right. So maybe that was where he he'd heard it the first time in the handshake line after that series. But uh, but it just was, you know, and kind of going through the Lubo Vishnovsky trade and and the drama surrounding that surrounding that where he didn't really want to come. There was, you know, family considerations back in Slovakia. But I think also there was a feeling of I'm a guy uh, who wants to win at the end of my career. Why am I going to the island? And then he came and was a guy who was kind of, you know, helpful of some of their younger guys and, and played a decent role in, in helping them get to the playoffs a couple of times and similar with the Nevgeny Nabokov situation. And, um, you know, I, I didn't know a ton of Islander fans before I came on the beat, but getting to know them. And sometimes it was a rough transition, you know, I was <laughs> accused, uh, throughout a lot of those early seasons of, of drinking the, the, the Garth Kool-Aid and <laughs> trying to make excuses for them. And really, you know, at heart, I was kind of like, I, I'm not a fan. I don't give a shit. Like this is this is the <laughs> job that I was assigned to do and I'm going to do it well. And it's, they're a fun group of people to be around. And, um, you know, Garth kind of had an open door policy when it came to flying with the team, especially late in some of those dismal seasons, like 11, 12 and 13, 14. And, you know, that, that was stuff that I, that I'd hear, uh, 
hear some things that I probably didn't need to hear or saw some <laughs> things I didn't need to see that I won't reveal, but nothing too out of the ordinary, but um, just little conversations that you can have with people that you couldn't have otherwise. And certainly now that we're, you know, it feels like we're so far from that, but it was, you develop that kind of, you understand the mentality of a team like that when you're around them that much. And you're especially, you're the only one around them that much. So it was, I enjoyed it. You know, I, I it was a fun group and I think, um, the guys that stayed for a long time, um, who I, you know, I felt like gained their trust, whether it was a guy like Franz Nielsen, who's someone I still talk to every so often, or Michael Grabner, who I had a couple battles with, but has, you know, <laughs> certainly come around and, and, uh, it, it's, it's just, you don't take a lot of things for granted in terms of those relationships and the, and the trust factor, but you kind of can lean on it now and, and say like, oh yeah, I was, I was there when this happened or I was there when that happened. And it's, it's fun to reminisce, even though those aren't necessarily like great highlights in the history of the, <laughs> the Islanders organization. But, um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's fun to look back on that stuff, especially now when you see how far they've come. And I think a lot of those guys don't feel, don't feel much resentment. The ones that moved on, I think they're happy for the Islanders and they're happy for the organization and certainly happy for the fans. Cause they knew, you know, it's, it's, Long Island is is unique in the in the hockey landscape that you you are no matter where you live, you're living amongst the fans of that team on Long Island for the most part. You know whether it's Garden City where most of them live or they're interacting with people that are Islander fans, and uh, and I think that that helps really heighten it the the feeling of it's us against everybody because we we're in this little enclave and it's super nice and they live in a great area and they get treated well, but also there's the Rangers, not that far away, who get treated like kings, even though the Islanders are, have had a, probably a, you know a better run the last few years, and and other teams in Canada where a lot of the guys are from and who get treated like kings, and uh, it's uh, it's kind of there's a lot that goes into being an Islander and being an Islander fan and being an Islander writer. You have to. I I, I never became a fan, but I enjoyed the 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 scrappy mentality of pretty much everybody from whether it was a guy in a locker room to the security guy outside the locker room to Leboff sneaking into the Coliseum every other day. It's, it's, it's a fun, it's a fun team to be around. That, uh, 2011, two things you said kind of resonate with this season. One, the Thomas Vanek trade, when you, when you brought up Jacob Trichron, uh, that was the first thing that popped to my mind was like, Oh, so like a, like a Thomas Vanek style trade where the team uh, is kind of failing to meet expectations. Those expectations for that season were obviously very modest compared to this one, but uh, that 2011, 12 team, um, that was probably the first team um, since the first Ted, uh, Ted Nolan year when they made the playoffs that I uh, team that I started was, I was proud of, even though they weren't great um, that cause like they, they did, you know, that was, a fun season to watch these guys come together. Uh, and I guess uh, an interesting thing to think about is like, if you look on paper and you compare the, that core, you know, Tavares, Nielsen, Oposo in their prime, Hamannick in his prime, Dehan uh, joining the party eventually, um, you know, Bailey even, and uh, wh- whoever else you want to throw in there. If you look on paper and compare that core to this core, I don't know if, who who is on paper better, right? Like, so is the difference, the only difference and the only thing that kind of maybe held that group back from going on a run or finding some sustained success uh, 
was it just is it just the coaching uh is it that you know that they didn't have maybe the right complementary players you know uh they had brian ralston scoring three goals and crying <laughs> his way out of town and dylan reese playing 40 games a season but like is it whereas these this core has had much better uh kind of fringe players like what what do you think is the difference between that one that couldn't get over the hump and and this one that did or is coming close to at least you know i i think a lot of it is just the right mix you know yeah they they brought in some veterans and and you could see the reasoning behind bringing in a guy like brian ralston um you know i think where where those those teams that you know with garth with a very limited front office you know in a you have a team with a big front office you have guys that that work the you know kind of the the grapevine they know they know you don't just say like oh that guy's a character guy because he's been in the league a long time and he won a stanley cup you know exactly what kind of character you're getting um you you know that like if he's you know what the situation is with his family would they move to long island is it a guy who you know is along for the ride on a good team or is he a guy that actually like puts in the work every day and and i don't think the Islanders were able to do their due diligence on some of those veteran guys during those years and also it's balanced out with everybody that they brought in that was worth something had to be brought in via trade because there was no way they were they were signing anybody really you know you you think about um you know Mark Streit is really the only successful, meaningful free agent signing that they had for the first. Yeah, it, was, it was only because they were the only team that would commit to playing him. On defense, right. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Where everybody saw him as a wing and maybe like, why, why am I signing this 28 year old guy who's been in the NHL for a year and a half? Um, yeah. And it's still, it's still digging a little deeper and having to use, you know, having to use, some you know an evaluation skill that that Garth is very good at, but also you don't need on a on a bigger market, bigger budget team. You can you can cover up those mistakes because you sign more guys or you have a deeper prospect pool or you you have more scouts, you have more assistant GMs, whatever. Um, you know, and I think the foundation was starting to be there in the short in the shortened season, and I think guys like Nabby and guys like Lubo had the right attitude of jumping right in and saying like, well, I didn't want to come here, but like once I'm here, like I'm here. And I think they both took a lot of the, a lot of the tension out of the room with their attitude. And that was, I think that was a turn for the way that the way that Garth viewed the veterans that he wanted to bring in. And then, you know, I, the pinnacle was really 14, 15, obviously, which that was a team that, I think is probably the most skilled Islander team of the last, I don't know, 35 years, maybe 40 years. It was a team that you really believed if they hadn't froze up in game seven in Washington, that that they could have done a lot of damage. And uh, now that I'm back uh, talking to Ryan Strom every so often, that year comes up a lot because it was a big year for him. It was kind of his first full year in the NHL. He was playing on Tavares' wing in that, in that playoff series and had a really good series. And he was, you know, I think everybody on that team, it was the Kuhlman Grabowski first year, um, you know, the Boychuk Letty first year, uh, Yaro's first year. Um, there were a lot of different pieces, but I think they had the right, you know, like I think a guy like Boychuk is kind of the same lineage of a Nabby or a Lubo guy where he's just, 
he's just loose and says like, I'm here, you know, it didn't want to come, but I'm here. Screw it. We're going to have a good time and we're going to, we're going to be a good team. Um, and that was really the thing that helped turn the corner. You know, it, it turned back a couple of years later because of a, a few different things, but, um, that little stretch of from, four, you know, 14, 15 and 15, 16, those were, those were teams that could have laid an incredible foundation here with a, with a, a play here, a play there. And, and, you know, we've, we've talked about it ad infinitum, but, and it's, it's a thing that always gets kind of glossed over, but in 2016 leading games three and four in the third period at, in Brooklyn against Tampa, if they hold those, if they hold those leads, they're in the conference final and um, you know, who knows what happens. It's uh, it's the penguins. And that's obviously that was, you know, they were at the kind of hitting their stride a little bit, but um, it's uh, I think it's, I think there's a lot of different outcomes to, to, to various storylines that, that really drag them down the next couple of years. And uh, you know, it's funny. I was listening when you guys were talking about how the, how the world still, the hockey world still views, you know, the Tavares situation versus Robin Leonard or whoever else is going to, you know, is coming back to the, to UBS or coming to get a, um, you know, a welcome, a welcome back. And I think, yeah. you know, Travis Hamannick you- is another guy, by the way. Thank you, Mike. I knew there was somebody I was forgetting. <laughs> Travis Hamannick is another guy who came back and we all cheered him, but anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just, it's just one of those, um, when you sell a guy so hard as the savior and the hero of the team as, as Tavares was, and, and was that guy for almost a decade, you know, really by far, far and away the best player, the most important player, the leader of the team. Um, and he, you know, he rejects, you know, I, I, it's, it's very different. I laugh because, you know, it's, it's the, it's the knee jerk reaction of some Islander fans. When I posted my announcement that I was done covering the Islanders and, you know, as my main coverage, and I'm sure I, I'll be writing more Islander stories at some point in the future. But I think there was a, there was a lot of, not a lot. And some of it was very tongue in cheek, which I appreciate, but just that like, Oh, you turned your back on us too. And I think, I think that feeling is, you know, has lasted a long time. Maybe it started with Kirk Muller uh, around those, around that era. And it's, that's the vintage of Islander fan that we're dealing with. You know, you guys were, that those were your formative years as Islander fans, maybe a little bit later, but there's been a lot of important people that have said, thanks, but no thanks to the Islanders. And, uh, and I think this, that's the thing that a lot of people outside can't understand about Islander fans and about this organization that, you don't know what it means to to feel like you're a second class citizen because they're in Canada and that's the number one sport or you're a Ranger fan or you're a you're a whatever, you know, you're a Kings fan or a Hawks fan, you've had so much success. It's it's a it's a it's a terrible feeling. And when it comes back up uh and someone says, you know, no, no, wait, I really, I really this is really hard for me. I don't you know, no one's gonna care, nor should they. Um <laughs> And, right. and I, you know, so to me, it's, it, it makes total sense that, that people would feel incredibly jilted by him and, and that it's not going to go away for ever, probably. Right. I mean, it could be, it could be, it could play them, play the leash the day that the banner for the most recent cup goes up at UBS and they will still boo the shit out of him. And, it, and there's yeah. no reason to believe that, that there's anything wrong with that. Oh, definitely. I, I feel like, I always feel like Islanders fans, Senators fans and Ducks fans probably all feel the kind of the same way about being that sort of like 
little brother team, second class citizen team, whatever. Because you know, but in like in the Ducks case, they won their cup before the Kings did, but like they were kind of the you know the second team there, and then the Senators forget that. That's a whole other psychological study that <laughs> needs to be done is on the Senators because that's a that's a great fan base that has uh, taken dark humor to a uh, to a whole other level. If you follow anybody on Twitter, you'll know. <laughs> and the Coyotes fans too, but in a different way. Yeah, that's true too. Um, is there a is there somebody that you feel like um, you wish you had been able to spend more time with? Because I mean, there there has been a lot of turnover. I mean, obviously you cover a team for ten years; it's going to be a lot of turnover. But like, is there a player that you kind of wished had been with the team longer, only only because he was so much fun to talk to and <laughs> gave you so much good stuff, and might have been just a cool dude to hang out with? I mean, Vanek comes to mind pretty quickly. I, like I said, just just a a completely unfiltered guy, you know, the, uh, when he was offered his $50 million contract by, by Garth and turned it down, which mm. him turning that Yikes. down is probably one of the most positive pivotal moments in the last 15 <laughs> years. Um, did what anybody would do. I found out the information and got it confirmed and talked to his agent who very reluctantly confirmed it for me because nobody wants to be seen as turning down 50 million bucks. And so I wrote it and the next day we were in Washington or a day later. Uh, and, and the Islanders PR guy who was there said like, uh, Oh, Vanek wants to talk to you. And I was like, okay. And I'm thinking like, well, this isn't going to be fun. Um, <laughs> and he came out of the visitor's room with his cup of coffee and his, you know, his sort of like faux hawk and his scruff, very stern faced. And he's like leaning on the doorway. And it's just like, I didn't really like that you wrote that. And I said, okay, like, you know, I was like, I got to be honest with you. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm a little confused here. Like, I get that you'd be upset with me and I'm not going to dispute that, but I wasn't wrong. And he's like, no. And I said, right. And I, and I kind of said like, what about it? Didn't you like, he's like, well, you know, like I turned down that money. Like, I don't want people to know about that. And I was like, but if I find out, like, obviously I'm going to write it and I got it confirmed. <laughs> and then he like broke into a grin and he was like, yeah, you're right. I don't know why I'm upset. And he just kind of was <laughs> And it was just one of those like I I I don't shy I like I don't mind a little confrontation. It comes with the job, especially if you're reporting stuff people don't like. But also, I expect to, you know like if he's going to tell me to f off and I don't talk to him for a week, like yeah, that's fine. It, it that it happens that way. But it, it was five minutes. And he was like, ah, you're right. Who cares? Um, he just was like he was just a guy who didn't who who you know seemed to just be enjoying life as a hockey player, and that. Uh, to me is the, is a fun person to be around. You know, there's, there's probably some other guys that are more fringe guys. I really uh, enjoyed talking to Dylan Reese a lot. Um, mm, two mentions for Dylan today. Wow, <laughs> a good one. Just a, just a guy who, uh, you know, who probably didn't necessarily think he was going to have the longest NHL career. And, and obviously was not on a team that was particularly good. And that was part of the reason why he yeah. was playing. But, you know, still had a lot to offer and was, you know, like a lot of like a lot of fringe guys had good observations about sport and the game and his place in it. Um, but there's not a lot of room, you know, working where I work now, I'm sure I could write the definitive Dylan Reese story and that people would love it. <laughs> but at Newsday, where you're just trying to fill a certain space every day, not a lot of room for the Dylan Reese story. But I but I still enjoyed talking to him. And, and I don't want to, like, leave a ton of guys out, but I think there's you know, there's, there's lots of, you know, Al Montoya was a guy who never had a bad day, you know, just a, just another guy who was, and I think 
the things that he's doing now in retirement, you know, trying to grow the game in certain communities, uh, a guy who, who we let, you know, the, the phrase, he gets it like Al Montoya gets it. He wasn't the greatest goalie he kind of bounced around a lot. He had some good, you know, it's good run with the Islanders that, that first year I was there, but just a guy who was always in a good mood. And, uh, and that goes a long way too, especially when you're covering a shitty season, just, you know, a guy who can understand that, this is not life or death and uh, we shouldn't treat it that way. And uh, you can be serious about your job, but not take yourself too seriously. So um, those are the, those are the ones that come straight to mind. And then a little bit later on, because we're not really allowed to talk to assistant coaches, but you have encounters with them away from the rink. Uh, Luke Richardson, who is one of the most genuinely nice people I've ever come across and a very good coach even though it didn't seem that way in his one year with, with the Doug Ray <laughs> regime, but a guy who, you know, played whatever, 1200 games and was tough as nails and obviously had a lot of, you know, had an incredible personal tragedy with his daughter, but just, you know, just a very nice person to talk to. And you, and that's when you're on the road all the time and with the team and you're the only one around and you're kind of separate because you're the, you're the media and they're the team. Um, it's nice to have people that just, you can be, a, you know, oh, you're a person and I'm a person and we're just, we're here together and we're just going to have a conversation. And, and Luke was one of those guys too. That's very cool. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I mean, again, you, you talk to so many guys and, you know, the Islanders have been kind of blessed with dudes. Like I think that are like that, like there's very few kind of stories about guys who are just genuine assholes. <laughs> to people, That's true. You know, That's true. Like, and that, and that it, is it, yeah. it, it for better or worse. I'm sure most fans would have been like, Garth, please go out and get some assholes so we can have a better team. <laughs> But it was it was important to him, uh, as it is important right. to Lou and Barry, to have people that are you know the high character right. that sort of like cliche that gets thrown around. But but I think in the when you're in the room and you see guys, whether it's whether it's a Johnny Boychuk who likes to keep things light, or you know um, guys who say who who treat the the support staff well, um, you know I I seem to recall hearing stories about you know Mark Streit's brief captaincy where, you know, there were some guys maybe that weren't as such longtime members of that, that 11, 12 team um, who maybe weren't so inclined to, to give out uh, tips after the season to the equipment guys and some of the, the game night crew and, and Mark Streit made sure, you know, not a guy you'd think would be a crack the whip guy, but said like, these are the guys that, that allow us to do what we do. Like everybody's going to contribute and you're going to contribute a, a good amount because it doesn't matter that we're a bad team. Like, this is what we do. And I think that that was a guy, you know, Tavares talks about Mark Stride a lot and how much he learned from him uh, in such a short space of time. And I think that was that was part of it, that uh, Mark is, is one of those guys who understands what it means to be a pro hockey player, too. That's cool. One of one of my all time favorites, as I have said many, many times, one of the, and certainly one of the best, like you said, uh, of the last 10 years. And it never occurred to me that he was probably the most successful free agent they've ever had <laughs> and now now i that's both sad and also another feather in his cap so there you go. um this has been uh actually a ton of fun and uh we could i mean we could bend your ear forever but you have a young family at home and uh christmas to get ready for so i don't want to keep you here too long but i can't let you go without asking one music question <laughs> are you well first of all i guess two music questions a are you going to keep doing the, uh, the Islanders daily mix. I guess that's probably not going to happen. Uh, but um, the other thing is so I watched the first episode of the Beatles um, get back documentary, which is great. If anybody hasn't watched it yet on, on Disney plus and uh, you know, it's a lot like the bulls last dance documentary, which is also great. And I thought, man, this is great. 
but also I could list a dozen other teams that I would love to have wished that had had this kind of, you know, the kind of camera crew following them around and made a six or whatever part documentary of it. And the same with this Beatles thing. I'm like, man, this is great, but I'm not a huge Beatles fan, but if there was a film crew following Van Halen in 1983, <laughs> I would watch that movie probably a hundred times a day, uh, no matter how many episodes it was. So if there was a band for which you wish there was a camera crew following them for, you know, whatever it was six months or something. And then, you know, they unearthed this documentary uh, years later to make, three you know three hour long episodes of it which what band would that be and i guess what what era would that be uh, of that band whoa that is that is a serious question and i do and i do <laughs> not want to get it wrong um <laughs> there's no wrong answers your well, opinion is no wrong answers I, I guess it's pretty close in time frame for me so i would probably say 70s the clash when they kind of got together um at the kind of the the start of the english punk movement i know that they're kind of the best known and not really maybe the most authentic but for me as a kid when i started to discover them a few years after that when i was 13 or 14 in the 80s um mm-hmm. I, that kind of blew you know their music kind of blew my mind and and uh they're they seemed like interesting guys and i did in my brief music writing career get to talk to joe strummer for an hour once um and uh, he was fascinating, and that was a guy, you know. And he passed away pretty soon after that, which was hmm. disappointing, obviously, on a lot of levels. Hmm. Um, but uh, but that was, you know, I always wanted to know a little bit more about them. And and maybe skipping ahead a little bit, I would love to see something in depth just about uh, Run DMC because that was hmm. in the eighties when I would, you know, flip around on my Manhattan cable box uh, and find. <laughs> find video channels in the, in the forerunners to MTV or in conjunction with MTV, there were some public access channels that would play videos and they would play run DMC. And I, you know, as a 12 year old sheltered kid, even growing up in Manhattan in the eighties, I was like, (laughs) this is amazing. And I got to hear more of this. Um, And I'm sure that there's some definitive works on on them and how they got together. And again, Mm -hmm. much like the clash, not the, not maybe the most authentic representation of, the New York hip hop scene as it was being born in the early eighties and late seventies. But, uh, I would just, you know, they were my guys and I wanted to know more about Mm. them. So, uh, those are probably my two answers. As soon as we stop talking, I'll come up with 15 others that I regret (laughs) that I didn't say, but, but I, I appreciate the question. It's a good one. That's cool. Yeah. No, that, like I said, there's no wrong. Run DMC is a good one. We've heard now twice in the last week, uh, Christmas and Hollis. And every yes. time I'm like, I turn to my wife, I'm like, you've never heard this song. She goes, no, I've never heard this before. I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you t-? It was, it was, they used it in the Hawkeye uh, show too. And actually it's funny. My, my daughter takes a bunch of different dance classes and one of them is hip hop this year. And I remember her saying like, oh, she needed to buy some, some shoes for hip hop class i'm like what shoes do you need to take a hip-hop class i'm like the only shoes anybody needs for a hip-hop class are the adidas shell top white with the with the stripes on the side those are the run dmc shoes those are the only shoes anybody needs to do hip-hop so i don't think she really appreciated it but i was like those are the only hip-hop shoes anybody needs i guess a pair of air jordans too maybe but anyway. probably but uh no those, those are not the two get the two i would have uh, guessed but uh, i'm glad i asked that question that's, that's a those are good two good answers. again there's no wrong answers really you could have said oh there are some led zeppelin some wrong answers, holy, but that i'll go with those two <laughs> no those are really good so uh all right well thanks i really appreciate it uh this has been a lot of fun and um if everybody hasn't checked out uh art's latest episode of no sleep till belmont it's the last one with scott gordon these have been great he's really really 
uh, really in depth in, in his answers, a little, sometimes a little too in depth. <laughs> You're just like, wow, there's a lot going on in these coaching decisions. I almost feel a little bit bad that I'm like, you got on the coach's case and you're just like, wow, there's a lot going on here. But uh, but he's been a great guest. I'm excited. Can you give us a hint as to who the next guest uh, will be? Well, I don't want to next. I guess in the next week, I don't want to break any news, but uh, we've got a couple more episodes to come. And then I'm not sure what's going to happen with uh, with the old Islanders podcast. It's the the ju- oh. juggling two teams for seven weeks without a without a net safety net uh, took a lot out mm. of me. And we have to see where the podcast situation is going to go. And I certainly don't want to. Step on Kevin Kurz's toes, and, and he's going to be our main guy, and he's already doing a great right. job covering the Islanders, and I think he's he's certainly going to be someone that fans uh, appreciate his coverage, and he's going to under, he's going to understand the the Islander fan mentality very quickly. Um, so I don't hmm. I don't want to be waxing poetic about the Islanders while he's doing all the work. So we'll see we'll see <laughs> where it goes. Hopefully there will still right. be some form of no sleep till Belmont at the Athletic uh, at some point yeah. in the future, but. Uh, We'll have to see. Oh, all right. Well, we'll keep an eye open on for that. And yeah, Kurz is the first two Kurz articles have been actually really, really good. So they're pretty cool. But uh, thanks a lot. We really appreciate having you on. And uh, we'll get you. I don't care whether you have your podcast, you're covering the Rangers. Whatever. We're going to get you on no matter what, because I know you, you can't quit this team. No. Nobody can ever quit the Islanders <laughs> ever. So I'll, uh, I'll, we'll have you back. I'll still be paying attention, maybe sometimes unwillingly, just because of all the people that I follow <laughs> on Twitter. But uh, right. But I'll still be paying attention. So it'll be good. Yeah, for sure. Cool. All right. Well, we'll talk to you then. Have a Merry Christmas, uh, you and your family, and uh, we'll catch you uh, sometime uh, in the new year. Happy holidays, boys, and thanks again as always. We'll talk to you soon. So long. Uh, thanks again to the great Arthur Staple of The Athletic for coming on with us. Uh, we always appreciate his stories. And uh, if you ever get a chance to talk to Art at a game, you definitely should because he's got a million great stories and and he's very friendly and he loves to talk to people. <laughs> so, which is a, a, a great, uh, a great attribute to have that I have never had in my entire life. So uh, I always appreciate when, when I meet somebody who's like that, but uh, it was great to have him on and uh, I'm sure he's got even, uh, even more cool stories. And, uh, and if you haven't listened to the clash today, you should definitely go listen to the clash because they're always great. Uh, okay. So that's about it. Again, the Islanders next game is on Monday, the 27th against the Buffalo Sabres. Um, they have two games against the Sabres actually that week. They got one at, at UBS too. Uh, provided both those games don't get postponed. So uh, we'll have to see what happens. Uh, what, what do you think about these two games? They got Buffalo, Detroit, Buffalo, and then somebody Edmonton. else. Then they I think start they play Edmonton. Yeah. Edmonton. And then right. they go on the Western they, Canada trip. Yeah, they have Edmonton at UBS uh, on the 1st, January 1st. And then they're right. They go to Western Canada and then they play in Edmonton on my birthday. There so there you go. So yeah, well, I mean, well, I mean, what are, what are your, where's your head at right now with these like games you, coming like up? Like you were I mean. saying, the pause and Art was saying, the pause could be a good thing, and we'll know pretty quickly because Buffalo, Detroit, Buffalo. I mean, <laughs> like they've had trouble with the Red Wings so far this season, but you can't really right. uh, ask for a softer landing out of that, and hopefully. Uh, that just instills some hope, and and maybe uh, the Lou does the Thomas Vanek style trade at some point because uh, that would be exciting. At <laughs> least you know that that Vanek, what four months was something else, and uh, he was he, it, it. I was watching the game against Vegas the other day, and and the play that Oliver Wallstrom made behind the net to set up the Pajot goal, Vanek immediately came to my mind. Not just because they wear the same number, but like he, this is a guy whose shot is so well respected, but that if you give him your gap controls off, he can beat you with his hands too. And that's what he did and his vision. Um, and they're similar players, I think in both their kind of, 
you know, you can call it arrogance, I guess, but like it's more confidence is, but like borderline between the two, um, and, uh, skill set. So, uh, yeah, if, if, if they can win a few games right out of the break and kind of show Lou that, yeah, might as well take a swing here. That would, that would be nice. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll have to see. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know what that's going to mean for, you know, who goes yeah. <laughs> in the other side of the trade, but, uh, you know, we'll we'll have to see if something like that happens. I'm always afraid of trades like that because then it's like, you know, what happens if you know the guy comes in and feels kind of like a lot of pressure to to perform, uh, you know, and and like lift the team up and, um, you know, what if he doesn't? That would be a problem. So uh, I don't. Know, we'll just have to see. But yeah, I, I guess you're right. It is a soft landing. Um, then they, you know, even the Oilers again, they, they've they've lost, you know, whatever it was six out of their last however many games. They're Get, you know, stop me if you've heard this before, but the Oilers' depth is not that good. So if you can shut down McDavid and Dreisaitl, you have a pretty good chance of winning the game. So uh, we'll have to see. And then they, that West, the you know, Western Canada swing has always been kind of a mixed bag for the Islanders. Sometimes usually it's pretty bad. Sometimes they could be they can get some wins out of there, but uh, we'll have to see. So, uh, but in the meantime, I uh, hope you enjoyed this uh, supersized episode of the show. I hope I didn't accidentally lose everything that Art told us because I'm looking at my uh, dashboard here and I don't like how it looks, but uh, <laughs> we're going to wrap it up and hopefully it's okay. Uh, uh, if we, uh, if you enjoyed it, great. If we uh, lost our entire interview with Arthur Staple, well, I could tell you it was very <laughs> good. So uh, <laughs> um, Dylan but, Reese uh, been twice. Uh, Dylan Reese came up a couple of times. Yeah. So there you go. And, uh, and some good Thomas Vanek stories. We haven't heard one of the, a couple of those in a long time, but, uh, we here wish you a Merry Christmas, a happy holidays. Hope, uh, everybody's families, uh, and themselves are, are safe and, and they have a great holiday. Uh, where can everybody find you on Twitter? The big Lebowski with two E's. Follow Mike at the big Lebowski. Listen to the wonder goal, which right. It was just, it was today or yesterday. You guys put out an episode. Yep. Yesterday. And we'll have one yesterday. Thursday morning for the boxing day games. Oh, ooh, Boxing yeah. Day games. And uh, and check out Line Change as well. That was today, right? Line yes. Change, last yeah. episode of Line Change. Check that out. Uh, uh, maybe some uh, some local teams get mentioned. No no spoilers <laughs> here. But uh, check, check them all out. And read my work at Action Network. Uh, read Lighthouse Hockey every single day for your most up-to-date Islanders news and discussion. Check out VintageIceHockey.com. Check out Betway. Check out the Pinot Project. Go see Spider-Man No Way Home. It's great. I loved it. Yes, it's a lot of fan service. Yes, you will see a 25-year-old Tom Holland fight almost 70-something-year-old Willem Dafoe. How it happens, it's great. It's funny. Go check it out. Lots of people already have. And you want to be part of this conversation, I promise you. Uh, And that's about it. And we'll be back sometime after, I don't know, the next bunch of games, whenever that is. And uh, hopefully uh, everybody can can get back on the healthy side and uh, finish this uh, season out. All right. We will talk to you again later. All right. Thank you very much. Happy holidays. Bye-bye.